What happens when you look at creativity through the lens of therapy and vice versa? You have creativity in an ever-changing world with Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. In every episode, they come together with amazing artists who prove that with just a little ingenuity, we are all creative beings and that the gifts lie within despite the challenges of the outside world. And now, here are Dr. Judy Bloom and Richard Skipper. Hello, Judy. Happy New Year. Hey, Richard. How was your holiday? Oh, well, it was a lot quieter this year than normal, which was fine with me. Uh, we had a lot of uh, friends, uh, parties, quiet dinners, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Not a big, big party. Uh, 12 people for New Year's Eve. Uh-huh. By some standards, that may be a big party. Oh, that's a good size. Yes. I did a Christmas concert at the beginning of December. Uh, it felt great to be in front of an audience again. Terrific. So that was exciting. Uh, so what about yours? Um, it- Fairly low key, you know, nothing out- outrageous going on, but like you just, you know, spending time with friends and family and, you know, dinners and whatnot and, you know, just enjoying life. So, well, as I'm getting older, uh, I'm not going to say as I've gotten older, as I'm getting older, <laughs> as I'm getting older, uh, you know, I'm minimalizing except for one area of my life. And that brings us a little bit to our topic of today, and that's books. I love to read. Uh, January is National uh, Book Blitz Month. Right. Uh, National Book Blitz Month was really established because a lot, especially kids, uh, don't read as much as you and I probably did when we were growing up. Uh, But I love to read. Uh, Amazon, I should take stock in Amazon because books are arriving at my door Every single day, uh, I get the opportunity with so many authors that I've had on this show to mm-hmm. celebrate them. And so all this month, we're celebrating authors, uh, not only today, uh, but uh, on the 19th, when you and I return, uh, we've got two great authors on the show that day already scheduled and probably more. Uh, so it's all exciting. And uh, so, but other than that, gifts don't really matter that much to me. Yeah. Uh, it's just spending time with my friends. Yeah, me too. And like you, I'm, I'm a reader and I've, I've always been a reader since I was a little kid. I was, I was the kid who would lie down on the back seat of the car and read no matter where we were going. You know, I would drive cross country. I missed the whole trip because I was reading. <laughs> and I still read at least minimum, actually, of, of, of three books at a time. So, you know, I can go back and forth between different books, depending what kind of mood I'm in or where I am. Um, So, and then magazines and magazine articles and newspapers. And (laughs) so I spend enormous amounts of time when I'm not talking to people, I'm reading. Well, I started a practice of committing to reading at least with whatever book it is that I'm reading, at least 10 pages a day of that particular book. (laughs) And of course I'm taking notes, I'm prepping, all of those things. I do want to give a shout out to a dear friend. She's our sponsor uh, for today's show. We're going to be having a new opener, believe it or not. You'll see your name in our closing credits, and that's Erin Califf. Uh, and Erin is also responsible for two of our guests today. She mm-hmm. worked tirelessly because in addition to celebrating a book that we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, today is also National Screenwriters Day. And we have two screenwriters on today's show. 
Well, that that's going to be exciting. And uh, being married to somebody who majored in screenwriting at AFI. <laughs> and, a, and a book writer. Of screenwriters and all the uh, things that they go through. <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, I, you know, and I'm so excited. And I see Danielle is here. Danielle is going to be here on a, uh, in, on the uh, 17th, I think it is. And we're going to be doing a show about self-help books. Uh, there, there's a lot of exciting programming uh, coming up today. And someone reached out to me today. There's a possibility of a major, major, major star who was very uh, much a part of our lives. I do want to give a shout out. Uh, we just lost, uh, just over the uh, holiday weekend, uh, Anita Pointer. Mm. And uh, I was such a big fan of hers. And she wrote her memoirs, and I had her on this show celebrating her memoirs uh, just a year or so ago. And so thank God I got the chance to sit down and celebrate her. Uh, but that's what this is about, yeah. celebrating these incredible artists um, and creativity, as you and I hopefully will do throughout the year, not only here, but maybe we'll do some live events as well. Yeah, that that's great. Right. And, an, and another shout out as well to Barbara Walters, who also passed. And, you know, as, as a former news person, um, she was definitely inspirational for me um, in pursuing my earlier career. Uh, and certainly wrote an awful lot of, <laughs> an awful lot, you know, both as a producer and as a performer. Uh, she wrote, you know, her own copy uh, for many, many, many years and inspired many people, including myself. And me too. You know, uh, she ins uh, truly inspired me. Yeah. So I, you know, we've got uh, three uh, special guests on today's show and you as well. You're always special to me. Uh, so I've laid out four mystery questions you get to pick a mystery question talk about getting the creative juices going today so pick a number one through four three and your question is to start the year off if you could pick up a skill instantly what would it be uh instantly mind reading mind reading yeah mind reading okay can you tell us a little bit about our first guest uh, <laughs> I have to see the person before I can read their mind, you know. <laughs> well, I'll bring him on and you can read his mind. Uh, and, I, and if not, I can tell you a little bit about him. Because I've had the pleasure of having him on the show. Probably be a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have his book, which is become uh, this book, uh, Solo Transformation on Stage, uh, mm -hmm. is a Bible to me because I'm in the process of writing uh, a one-man show, uh, which mm -hmm. as many of you know, I will be debuting in Washington, DC uh, in March. Uh, so this book is for all of you out there who have your own shows. This is the book to read. Uh, Ronald Rand, you are probably not only uh, one of the busiest actors out there, uh, you're constantly working, uh, COVID did slow you down. Yes. Only for a little bit <laughs> to write this book. Yes. Write the book. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Uh, meet uh, Dr. Bloom. 
Thank you. It's so good to be on the show. Hello, Richard. Happy New Year. It's so wonderful. And, and Jody, so nice to meet you. You as it's well. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So, so let nice me ask you, I mean, and then we're going to jump right in. You get. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pick a mystery question for yourself, one through three. Well, we'll go with number one. And your question is, yes. if you could, well, the question is, if you could be famous, you're already <laughs> famous in my book. Um, if you could be more famous, uh, what would you want to be more famous for? Well, it's very bizarre because that's uh, probably the least thing on my mind about being. It's really about being as creative as possible. So I think if I could be as creative uh, or more creative as possible, um, I would like to um, uh, absolutely travel to more countries than I've been to. I've only been to 26, so I have a few more to go to. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, I know that you um, just got back from Iceland. Yes. And you are on your way to Turkey. Not uh, Coming up, yeah. Knock on wood. Um, yes. <laughs> doing this show, and I also want to tell everyone that you have traveled around the world uh, mm -hmm. playing Harold Plurman, uh, mm -hmm. one of the greatest acting teachers that ever walked this planet. Uh, you have embodied him. You have truly inhabited who this man was. What is it about Harold Plurman that mm -hmm. resonated so deeply with you? Well, I was very fortunate um, when I was uh, getting out of high school uh, because I had spent several years um, you know, learning about acting and wanting to be an actor. But of course, once I got out and I went to study with Stella Adler, who I was with for five and a half years, Harold Klerman was teaching at the same time. And so I got to study with him as well. And at the same time, I also studied with Jerzy Grotowski, the Polish director. So between the three of them, they just spun my whole head completely around. But uh, what I walked out of class every time, my whole body was vibrating, literally spending the time with Harold Klerman because of his passion. Uh, there was nobody else on earth that I could possibly describe because his passion was so overwhelming that it would just take you over. But it was also incredibly humorous. You would fall out of your seat laughing at the same time. But uh, it was really, uh, he was the embodiment and the theatrical conscience of America. But also it was based on humanity. It was based on that we need to be human that we need to share all of ourselves completely. But of course, the, the mantra to him was, you've got to go out and, and change the world through the art of the theater. And that's what he espoused. And of course, um, I was very, very blessed, uh, you know, to, to spend that time with him. But little did I think that I would ever go on to create my own show. And uh, I think I may have told you when I, uh, after I had studied with Stella, I wrote to her and I said, you know, because you wrote in your foreword that uh, to the, the fervent years, Harold Clerman's book about the group theater, that you think Harold Clerman's legacy might be lost. I think that it would be important for people to hear his incredible passion and his ideas and, and to meet him. And I saw so I'm thinking of creating a show. And of course, Stella wrote back and said, oh, no, darling, no one can play Harold. And then, of course, she wrote, P.S., if you have to go ahead. And so I guess I had to. And, and that's how it was born. And um, I wrote all these notes and created the show. And then I put it all aside. And I, I had to ask Harold, what is it you really want to say to us today? 
And this, of course, was 23 years ago, and I've been doing the show now for 23 years, um, or a few years before that. And and I listened, and he came through and told me what he wanted to say, because he was the, the co-founder of the group theater with Lee Strasberg and Cheryl Crawford. And of course, he was considered America's greatest drama critic, uh, second to none, according to Arthur Miller. And, and, and he was, like you mentioned, one of the supreme acting teachers because he gave these midnight classes uh, to people like Maureen Stapleton and Hal Holbrook and, and Elaine Stritch and, and Gerald. And I will add, and this was after they were appearing on Broadway, they would That's do a Broadway right. show and then yes. they would go to his class. <laughs> it's so true. Yes. And, and, uh, and he was so incredibly energizing. And, and really reminded people. And of course, he directed uh, Marlon Brando in his first adult part uh, in Truckline Cafe and, and so many others. But the thing that I try to bring when I, I go to so many universities and colleges and theaters around the world is that I don't, as you, as you mentioned, I don't act as Harold Clerman. I don't play him as a character. Um, I, I spend two and a half hours in the dressing room. And this is what I talk about in my book, uh, Solo Transformation. And at a certain point, for want of a better phrase, he literally comes and enters me. And he uh, leaves what I call the creation room, not the dressing room. And he goes not on a stage, but into his apartment uh, to see his students, who, of course, are the audience. But to him, he's talking to his students. And he's there. And he's living. And I'm inside as a vessel. And, and that's what I completely share so that they get this experience of meeting Harold Clerman. That's and amazing. So does the does the show change over time because of that? Because you know he inhabits you in different ways. Yes, <laughs> and not only that. I mean, if I'm doing a show in a cave in Tbilisi, Georgia, or I'm out under the grass under the stars in India because I've crossed India five times on tours, or I'm you know in in so many different kinds of theaters of any imaginable shape and size. On top of that, yes, the audience is so many different uh, languages and cultures. Uh, in the middle of a, a show in, in, Zim, in Zimbabwe, in a tribal hut, um, they, they literally stood up and started screaming because they thought I was inhabited by a, some mm -hmm. sort of a spirit other than who I was. So I've experienced so many things. And yes, during the course of the, of the 23 years, uh, I, I'm surprised uh, by what Harold Clerman does, and I'm hoping that he says what's in the lines, but whatever he wants to say or do, it's up to him. That's wonderful. <laughs> I want to bring our next guest on, uh, Todd Rosenberg. It's been great getting to know you virtually uh, because you have been in so many different areas of show business. I mean, today we're celebrating the world of screenwriting but you have been part of the world of animation. Uh, you are an internet sensation uh, with the work that you've done on YouTube. Please teach me what it is. <laughs> um, and Aaron, thank you again for bringing uh, Todd to our attention. Um, you get to pick your creative uh, mystery question, one or two. Oh, first, I just wanna say, so happy to be here and thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled me. you're here. I'm choosing number two. And your question is, if you could meet any historical figure, uh, if it's Harold Kerman, uh, he's right here. Uh, <laughs> if you could meet any historical figure, who would you choose and why? 
It's a really hard question, actually. And uh, I would say, you know what? It, mm, eh, eh, I would say, I guess in some ways, even though I am not um, uh, necessarily, uh, uh, it's not in my world all the time, I think it probably would be Mozart because I just am just like been fascinated with that level of genius, like that, that type of, like if it's a Shakespeare, even though I have a Shakespeare, might not have done all the thing, but um, something like in that world of like astronomical, you know, godlike talent, just to kind of watch them work. I think that would probably be the most fulfilling moment to go back in time, I think. Even though that sounds a little pretentious, I'm like, I want to see what you were doing, you know. So there's a little that. Well, I want to ask you, as a screenwriter, uh, yeah. obviously, as a screenwriter, you encompass all of the elements of what we see on screen. Yeah. Um, what is it that first attracted you to that world, and was there any particular screenwriter that you aspired to be like, or that inspired you? Uh, that started you on your own journey. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, my my work on the internet as an animator actually led me into writing. I had been mm -hmm. writing on my website, and I'd write essays and things like that. But um, the the cartoon that I was doing on the web got so much attention that there was in, there was interest in turning it into a movie. So. Uh, when they came to me and said, oh, do you have an interest in this? I said, sure. And the next thing I did was go out to the bookstore and buy all these books <laughs> on screenwriting because I was like, I don't want to do it. Um, and, I, and I worked on it with a friend who kind of just showed me that there was actually a lot of freedom within uh, scripts. I, I used to think that there was like this, this, I mean, there is a format to it all, but there's freedom in it. And the scripts that I kind of really burned through at that time were Quentin Tarantino scripts because oh. they were so fast. And so, you know, it wasn't weighed down with like, you know, huge chunks and describing things. If it was a diner, it was a greasy diner and it was just moving through dialogue. And, and, this, and through those scripts, I think I also learned the importance of the actual visual page where someone's going to turn a page and at the top of the page is a giant chunk of text. I'm like, uh, but if it's dialogue, you know, that sort of thing, I think I, I'm, I'm hypersensitive to the reader feeling like, like I'm, I'm there with them as they go through a script. Now I'm going to ask a question and this may seem like a very silly question uh, coming at you, but you worked on the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. And uh, so I, when you are working on a sequel and a, a, a sequel to something that is so beloved, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, yeah. how much freedom are you given to come in and create your own vision of the story that you want to tell? I mean, in this case, it was Disney had had, had a script that um, they weren't uh, it wasn't there, it wasn't their vision for what the movie could be. And some producers who had the rights to this sort of came to me and said, come back to us with a pitch. So I guess they were fielding a lot of pitches. So in this case, it was, um, completely free because you could kind of come back with whatever you wanted it to be. And, um, my approach was much less cartoony and much more grounded. It dealt with some serious matters. It was a, um, kind of a meaty role for, for Rick, Rick Moranis. And uh, 
and they were really interested in trying to get him out of retirement too. So um, I think taking this sort, I mean, it was still, it's still fantastic, you know, set pieces and all this stuff, but there was something about uh, this sort of grounded, you know, real emotional heart that was, uh, that was in the, the pitch that I think they really gravitated toward. Todd, how is it for you when you, you write a screenplay and you know that this is your first draft and yeah. that it's going to be changed, you know, several times over by the time it actually hits the screen by you or by others as well who might weigh in on it, right? Yeah. How is that for you in your creative process? I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> first draft, but uh, there's, um, I mean, there's a feeling, there's a feeling of acceptance to the first draft is just not going to be great. And there's a reality to, you know, not editing as you go, getting through to the end um, for better or worse. And, um, and it's, it's taken me a while to kind of accept that um, it takes me a while to find my footing in scripts. The, the, you know, I would love to be this, you know, write Rocky, just be like, here's the script. But um, it really takes me a long time to, to find out what's working, what's not working, tying it all together. I don't have this sort of seamless approach. I don't outline well. Um, I kind of just have to figure it out in writing. So um, mm -hmm. it's a longer process sometimes, but um, so far it's, it seems to be working okay. So um, do, you, do you know where it's going from the beginning or does it just develop as you go through it? Um, I mean, I like I think the first five pages are sometimes the hardest pages because it sets the tone and it, um, it needs to jump out at in, in some sort of way. So, but usually I've, I'm like flying blind. <laughs> I don't know where it's going to end up or how, but you know, there is sometimes in, in, on the fortunate days, there's, there's sort of a magical thing that happens where something that seemed like it was not associated with the script at all, all of a sudden is the thing that makes something earlier work. And that those when those things come together, then I kind of know that I'm I'm onto something, and it's real. It's a, it's it's it gets exciting when I'm able to reestablish faith <laughs> in the process by saying, "Oh, that that crazy thing that I wrote in the third act in the first draft, I'm bringing it back in because it's important now." So that's that's great. You know, that's a perfect segue to a a, a great quote that I found today, and I I, I found mm -hmm. that writing was a way to put my feelings down on paper. To this day, if there's something on my mind, I really can't put it to rest until I write it out, even if it's a note to myself. And that was written by our next guest, Alan Roth. So Alan, I found this quote today and I said, it's perfect because do you still walk around with a constant notebook? Yes, I do. In fact, uh, as you were offering that quote, I was thinking to myself, gee, I feel the same way. And now <laughs> I remember. As I was reading about you and I saw that quote, I said, that is so perfect. Well, thank you. Process it, it, is... Well, thank you. Um, you really do your research. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I I literally walk around with a pad. Uh, uh, I end up at the end of some days with scraps of paper in my pocket. Uh, unfortunately, there are times that I can't read my own handwriting. And so these wonderful <laughs> ideas are lost to the universe. Um, 
but uh, I've always felt compelled to write down my thoughts. Um, and it gives me some peace of mind in some way to know that I've done that. And I'm going to ask you your mystery question. It's the last one that's left. And then we're going to talk about the creative process. Sure. You. Um, this is an interesting question. If you could only eat one meal every day uh, for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would that meal be? I want Todd's question. <laughs> um, which I thought well, yeah, if you could have beautiful. that meal with this uh, celebrity <laughs> if I could only eat one food uh, one meal day. for the rest of your life uh, what would that meal be wow uh, okay I'm trying I'm trying to think of some clever answer and I can't um, and so probably it would be that food that sustains me during my long hours of riding, which is some kind of a very um, unnutritious cereal that <laughs> I keep in my writer's room and, and keeps, keeps the, me going. Would that, famous that would sustain me. Who would be the famous person that you would love to have that cereal with? Right. I, I, I just love Todd's answer of Mozart. And uh, he mentioned Shakespeare as well. And the answer for me would be Shakespeare. Uh, to be inside of Shakespeare's mind, to understand, he's just uh, an endless source of uh, fascination uh, to me. Um, I'd love to, uh, <clears throat> I'd love to have five minutes with with William Shakespeare. Wow, wow! Crunch berries um, with Shakespeare. <laughs> now you have a new film that's coming out in just a few months. Am I correct, Alan? Yeah, thank you. Yes, uh, it's called The Book of Leah. It stars Armand Asante. It was directed by uh, the son of, we'll all remember Walter Matthau. So Walter Matthau's son is Charlie Matthau, and Charlie directed the film. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's still in post-production. It's been in post-production for some time, uh, but uh, it is due for release in a couple of months. Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, well... Uh, so I want to hear, Alan, from you a little bit about your personal creative process. You said, you, you know, you make notes on things that just kind of come to mind. Mm -hmm. How does that translate into the screenplay for you? And what were you doing before you were writing screenplays? Before I was writing. Well, in terms in terms of my process. Uh, yeah, I, I collect all my little scraps of paper. I will tend to write a beat sheet, which is just a series of bullet points that uh, uh, are like a chronological list of the different um, plot elements that move a story forward. Uh, I'll then go to an outline and sometimes I'll outline extensively. But somehow when I sit down and start to write the first page, it's like I'm an unmoored boat and I go all over the place and I don't use... I, 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 uh, I drift away from everything that I've written in my beat sheet or my outline. But what the beat sheet and outline has really done for me is it's helped me figure out certain things. And it, it, it gives me it. It does help me navigate as I go forward. No matter how much, though, I outline it, writing the script is always an adventure. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so it, it plays a role, but I'm not, I don't, uh, I don't use it as a hard and fast uh, compass for, 
for where I go. Um, there are there are so many so many screenwriting books how how to books that are out in the industry uh and some some industry standards uh, uh as well that talk about the importance of beat sheets and and of outlining for me and there's no right or wrong with it for me uh it's always had the effect of reducing screenplays and some of these textbooks will do that almost into formulas. This should happen on page five. This has to happen on page 28. This is when the, the B story comes in. This is your midpoint. You know, the, 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 uh, the first act is, 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 is X amount of pages. The, the second act is 50 pages. The third act is 20 pages. And I find that I start to write around that formula and I have trouble with that. And it also takes away what should be the joy of writing mm-hmm. for me. So uh, the screenwriting process is, is always a little bit of an adventure. And I have to, I also agree with Todd, everything always does seem like a first draft. Uh, and we try not to become too precious about what we've written because it's a business and Producers and other folks are are going to weigh in, and 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 it's created by committee. And I think the professionalism comes in in taking those notes, some of which can be a little far out, and may and and incorporating them and making them work. Um, how I got involved in screenwriting was uh, I had written a couple of spec scripts. Uh, they had gotten a little attention. Well, uh, I was getting you, some. What were you doing professionally before that? I uh, oh uh, so I have uh, I still have to some extent. I had a media development company, a production company uh, that produced media, mostly video for Fortune 500 companies, um, videos for uh, corporate communications mm-hmm. initiatives. Uh, marketing initiatives. Uh, and so I was in some way involved in the creative process. Uh, although one way or the other, I got more involved in the business end than the creative end mm. to help sustain the business. And uh, I originally got into the business because I love to write. So I started to write screenplays as a way to fulfill that, that part of of me and uh, and I still have that production company, but <clears throat> my life is as a screenwriter now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I, I I started to write screenplays, and one thing led to the next, and then I uh, I had the good fortune to uh, to win a, a fairly important screenplay competition wow. uh, called the Nickel Fellowship in 2013, and that that unlocked everything for me. So it's, uh, and since then I've been pretty busy, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. One of the things that I want to talk about that I'd like each of you to respond to, um, and I'll start with you, uh, Ronald, on this, and then Todd, Alan, and then Judy, I'd like you your thoughts on this as well. In our culture, uh, people are not allowed to quote unquote be bad. In other words, it's, uh, 
we're under the scrutiny of always being perfect in our culture. Um, Stella Adler, uh, as wonderful as she was as an acting teacher, and you know this, Ronald, um, mm -hmm. she would berate some people to the mm -hmm. point of tears. She was cruel to some people, and some people left the business because she was so difficult with some of her students. Uh, we are not given a, a, a chance in some markets or some areas to learn, to be able to try things out, to be able to write a bad screenplay, to learn what it is about what makes a bad screenplay to get to the point of getting to a good screenplay. I wanna talk about the creative process and what your thoughts are about the, the idea of it being okay to be bad, if that makes sense to any of you with what I'm saying with this. Um, we need that opportunity to be able to try things out. And unfortunately, we live in a culture now where everything is under the scrutiny of the internet, the spotlight, constant critics, everything being there in the spotlight without the creative process to be able to blossom. Ronald, I'll let you well, well with, in terms of Stella, one of the great things about her, which uh, uh, I remember distinctly because one of my uh, fellow actors who I would write scenes for was Bill Paxton. And uh, a lot of the times, he, you know, she wasn't very happy with the work he did. And other times she was. And the same thing with me. But what she would always do, even when she would, like you say, go after certain actors uh, because they didn't come up to where she felt we could you know, go. Uh, and in a sense, what you're talking about is uh, failing, making an attempt and it not really achieving where we should be. She would always, even after berating us, would, would come over and hug us or, or take our hand and say, listen, darling, it's okay to fail. I'm there with you. I've been there. I know what it's like. But remember, this business is rough and tough and there's no time for that. So you're going to have to do it on your own. And I, that's why you're in class. Now, it's all about failing and making mistakes because if you don't do that, you're not gonna learn anything. Mm -hmm. And I always tell my students, and I've taught at 40 different universities and colleges and acting schools around the world. And I say, you cannot think about uh, whether you're gonna be the greatest success in the world or the greatest failure. You have to try to do what you believe in the most. You have to follow your vision. And people say, well, what if I don't know what that is? And you say, well, you listen to your heart and your soul, and it guides you to express what is most meaningful and what's most powerful to you. And that's what I try to share in my book, uh, Solo Transformation on Stage, because it's all about going as far as you can go. And if you fall on your face, that's okay too. I'm, from my first audition professionally, I went in and auditioned for Frank Dunlop for Julius Caesar out at Brooklyn Academy of Music. And they said, you have to do the Shakespeare line and, and, and you run in and you stand in front of us and there was a whole table full of the directors and all the casting people and you say your line and then you run out. Well, I ran in and I fell right on my derriere. And then I got up and I said my line like I was born to and then I ran out. And then later on, they said, that's how, how you got the part, because you did not stop. Even if you fell on your face, you went forward. And that's what I believe in. Good for you. Thank you for that. Sure. Uh, Todd? No, I mean, to Ronald's point about just following 
your heart and trust in, in, in things. When um, I, I worked for ten years in, in book publishing as a, as a salesperson, and uh, and when I was when I didn't have a job uh, for a stretch of time, when dot com bubble burst way back when, um, I tapped back into cartooning and taught myself animation. And I remember that feeling of not knowing why, I, what I was doing and why, um, and just kept going with it to kind of see where it, it ended up. And it ended up, you know, with me putting a cartoon out there that completely changed my life. I mean, I was, you know, I basically had my resume on Monster. I was looking for a job. This cartoon um, hit the net, you know, in like 2001 and two, and, it just it just changed everything for me. So, um, and it's also like in some ways it was like the same thing with writing, where you know I kind of fell into that as well, and, and never was you know never took a screenwriting class. And there is something you know I, I'm torn because there's a side of me that that wishes I had when I was an animator. I wish I knew how to animate better than I could. I had a, cer a certain limitations, but those limitations fed into the style of what the animation was, which is really simplistic because it had to be because I didn't have a choice. And when I started writing and I realized that there's that level of freedom in that too, there was, and, and the fact that I wasn't in some ways maybe distracted by a head full of, <laughs> of knowledge of how to do stuff, um, it really does allow for a lot of freedom. And now that I'm in a, in a, in a place that I can't, you know, there's, there's less freedom to do, unless I'm writing a spec script or, you know, doing something like that. Um, you know, I find myself to keep going back to reminding myself that um, to always find that freedom in you rather than trying to fix a formula or, you know, or, or just make puzzle pieces fit. You know, if something doesn't feel like it's fitting, you have to have the freedom that I can kind of just blow it up, start over and do something bad. And, and, uh, and I've done a lot of bad work. <laughs> and it's hard. I mean, you know, I've turned in scripts that I thought were going to light up all the boards and everyone was like, oh. and it got me back into it. And, and to be honest, you know, in a lot of ways, producers and, and, and friends like notes that come back often are, you know, absolutely right. And, uh, and I have to take that to heart too, um, that sometimes I'm wrong and maybe I turn in bad drafts, but it opens up other doors uh, to do bad work, I think. Great. Uh, Alan? Yeah, I think that, uh, <clears throat> I think the most important thing uh, for me is to, you, you, you break into the industry by writing a spec script. Uh, that's usually a labor of love. Uh, and if you get some attention, you're rewarded by writing other people's stories or adapting other people's stories or working on a script from a studio that is written by another writer but is in some trouble. And that's not always a labor of love. But I always try to remember why I wanted to be a writer and I bring my whatever that special thing is that I might have, I try to bring to any assignment that I'm working on and inject some part of my self in. There are times that I'm asked to work in scripts for genres that are not genres that I really gravitate toward. 
but I try to find within myself, what is that, what is that special thing that I have to offer if there is and endow that on the script. Uh, and just, just a quick comment. I, I mean, I've like Todd, I've, I've written scripts or been part of projects that I thought were going to, to rattle the world and they did not. And it was a uh, very famous screenwriter, I think William Goldman, who said yeah, in yeah. his book, nobody knows anything. That's right. I think that's still true. <laughs> yeah, and Hollywood is uh, paved with stories like that. You're right. Absolutely. Uh, Judy, do you have any comments on this? Yeah, you know, I I spend most of my day talking to people uh, who are trying to be them, their best self and trying to look at, you know, all the things that prevent them from being who they want to be. And I'm constantly telling people, look, you're not going to be perfect <laughs> because there is no perfect. You're going to be the best you that you can be in any one moment in time given everything else going on in your life, given everything else that's ever gone on in your life. You know, you bring all that with you all the time. So all you can do is just be the best you you can be right now, in the here and now. And know that the next moment you're going to bring something else to it. And that that's okay, you know, that we, we are good enough just as we are. And really accepting ourselves with our limitations is really important um, because we are our own worst critics. It's funny that you say that because that's on my screensaver right now. Be the best you that you can be today. Um, I pulled a word for today. Uh, and some of you, if you can read between the lines, you may understand why I chose this word. Uh, but the word for the day is teamwork. I've been thinking a lot about teamwork over the last uh, three days, watching a lot of TV over the last three days. And I've been thinking about, uh, and I'm thinking about the three of you, uh, especially. Um, as you all know, uh, I'm going to pull this picture. I bring her up from time to time. I was lucky enough to have Carol Channing as a dear friend. And uh, when she wrote her memoirs, she said, writing is a solitary profession. You're alone. But we all know that that's not necessarily true because it's, it takes a lot of people. It takes a village. Uh, even when you're doing a solo show, you're not out there alone. There are the lighting people. There are the people at the box office. It takes a village to do whatever we do. I want to ask each of you, uh, to expound uh, upon what teamwork means to you in your own professions. And Ronald, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, in uh, of course, in the theater, we're talking about collaboration. And uh, to, to me, um, like you just said, of course, I, I'm never alone uh, on the stage, uh, not only because I have the audience and they're my partner uh, naturally, uh, but in my show, of course, I'm bringing alive not only Harold Klerman, but Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler and Stanislavski. And, and so they're uh, coming alive around me, as well as Aaron Copeland and Alfred Stieglitz and even Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Uh, they all coming alive. So they're living uh, with me. And, and of course, uh, like you said, there are the other crew people there who are running the sound and the lights. But really, um, it's the audience. Every single time 
I'm performing, um, the audience is what is, is driving Harold Klerman uh, and, and stimulating him uh, to say what he has to say, to do what he has to do. So he's in concert with them and uh, he is breathing and living them all the time. And I notice uh, his energy, how it changes and grows and moves and fluctuates and gets stronger. Or when he was doing a show, and I have to confess, um, it was a thousand seat auditorium and it was filled with a lot of young people who really didn't know who he was because uh, I was in uh, an area of a country where they really had no idea who Clerman was. And he could sense that they were completely not involved. And Clerman said after about 20 minutes, and he jumped to the end of the show. And I normally do about a 55 minute show. And he went and he was off to the theater. And I went, okay. So you see, he was getting what he needed from collaborating or not collaborating with the audience because they were supposed to be feeding him. And I think in any kind of a collaboration, uh, it's all about the stimulation that you're getting. But, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm, you know, I've been fortunate to uh, have a, an opera uh, that I wrote the libretto for recently, the first opera ever written about Henrik Ibsen. Uh, just, it's now under consideration by a major opera company. And, um, I had to leave myself open uh, to, to, to hear Ibsen, and he came through my dreams at night, and that was the only way that I could hear his words in my dreams, and I wrote down what he said, and in a sense, that when I looked at them the next day, I had no idea where they came from, so you see, I was, again, collaborating with this person who came through me, and I think if we leave ourselves open as much as we can, something always happens. I totally agree with that. Uh, Todd? Yeah, I mean, I feel fortunate that, you know, I, I don't writing, I don't have a writing partner, um, but I do have someone who is um, like a creative copy editor person that is always the first to read anything that I do. It's like a safe place for me. Um, so having that as like a, as, as a go-to is great. And to be totally honest, you know, in my experience, since I've been in LA with different producers and, you know, there's a lot of uh, work that producers do to dig in on making the script uh, the best it could be. And, I, and my image of producers is completely changed since mm. I started working with them. Because these these people are wildly smart. They know they know they really know uh, how to improve the script. Not always, but you know, uh, like often, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's it's really a big help to be able to, tr to put trust into that. And um, and I've I've had um, I, I feel like the good fortune of working with um, when I was writing all my life. Um, I worked very closely with a producer who was really line by line taught me how to really give great flow into a script. And he's like a screenwriting master. So he was, I, I, I'm, I love that for the most part, the producers that I've worked with love film. They are passionate about it. And as much as you know, people look at Netflix or look at what you know was on screens and they would say, why are these all these bad movies and what happens and this and that? You know, the Hollywood is like ruining things. And I think you know, part of the problem is there's not a lot of great scripts. 
but it's also, you know, as much as it could be writer's fault, it could be producer's fault. Um, I think working closely with, with people professionally that you trust um, is if you have those go-to people and you create sort of a network of that, um, it's, 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 it's a comfort zone because then you can do bad work. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, um, because they know how to fix it sometimes. So, um, but yeah, being in a solitary environment in this bubble world, good days and bad days, you know, waiting on inspiration, all of that, um, it, it's hard sometimes. So having a team, a team um, makes it less lonely and, and, uh, and keeps the anxiety. Uh, there's always anxiety. <laughs> but it, brings it, it at least brings it down a notch to know that you have, you have go-to people. You know. Amen. Uh, yeah. Alan? Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> all that, and what I'd add as well is uh, the collaboration between myself and my manager is very important. Uh, he, he understands me as a writer. He understands my strengths, my interests. Uh, and, and when I'm on an assignment, uh, I can rely on him, and, and it's so important for real, unadulterated, even blunt comments on on what I've written or on what some of my ideas might be, so that whatever finally goes to the producer or the studio is the very best that it can be. And I also know that when he applauds my work, uh, or gives me very positive feedback that it isn't to make me feel good, that it's coming from a real place. Uh, so he's a very reliable partner in that way. And of course, we're both on the same page because my, my success is his success. Uh, mm. So that, that's, I think, an additional dimension to the collaborative process for a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say, uh, having been burned by a manager, <laughs> uh, and I could write a book on that, yeah, that's a lucky, lucky, lucky thing to have. So it is. Uh, it, it's a blessing when it works when it works the way yes. it should. Yes. Uh, Judy, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I you know I collaborate with all of my patients. <laughs> I don't have a magic wand that's going to make everything perfect, you know, in their lives, and they have to do the work. Um, but it's it's a process. It's what comes out of the experience of my working with them. And what what trans, transpires in the room, and then what they do outside of the room, you know, the rest of the week, um, to integrate what what hopefully they've they've uh, learned or come up with um, during that session. So you know, and, and and it's an ongoing process. You know, again, you know, the, the reason therapy in general, you, you know, it isn't one session, <laughs> um, is because it takes time. It takes time for the person you're working with to trust you enough to truly let you in and be their most vulnerable and their most open and their most honest mm. uh, in a way that really people aren't with anyone else in their life, in gen you know, for the most part. So it's, it's a, a, a totally, you know, a totally collaborative kind of an experience. And I do it all day long. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, I want to thank all of you for being here. This hour flew by for me. Uh, Ronald, Todd, Alan, uh, and Aaron, thanks, thank you for all your work. I'm going to give my final word uh, for the day. And then each of you are going to give your chance to give your final word. It could be about anything that we talked about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final word that you want to leave everyone with. Uh, I will start once again with you, Ronald, then Todd, then Alan, and Judy, you will have the final word as usual today. Um, uh, the word I pulled today was teamwork. Uh, doing these shows each week uh, and then uh, every other Thursday with uh, Dr. Judy Bloom, Judy, um, it doesn't just happen with me showing up and doing this. I have a team. Uh, Aaron? Uh, yesterday, uh, the emails back and forth, putting this show together. Uh, Danielle uh, is very much part of the team. The audience, all of you who show up religiously at each show, you're part of the team. Uh, Tess LaBella, who does the voiceover. Leo Rodriguez, uh, who does uh, the graphics for the opening and closing. Uh, Glenn Charlo, who does the work. Uh, Rosa Puzo, everyone, my husband Daniel, everyone. I don't do it alone. And I appreciate all of you who are part of this. When I think of the collaborative process, I also think about where we are right now. Here we are at the beginning of a new year and we are all starting out like Alan with blank pieces of paper. It's what we put on those pieces of paper that will take us throughout this year. It's interesting as uh, I was reading an article on Monday and it said each and every day, all of us are doing two things. Hmm. We are becoming and we are dying. Hmm. That's not morbid, it's, it's part of the process. And it's what we decide to do with each day. If we think each day about our interactions with each person. And the last thing that we say to each person, hopefully it's on a positive note. We're gonna leave everyone with positivity. We're gonna put it out into the world. And it's these moment to moment to moment processes that we have each and every day. It's all we have. Think about each day as its own canvas, its own screenplay, its own one act show, what we bring out into the world, we all can create masterpieces as we go through this year. I end every show, as you all know, by telling you all to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, what I'd like you all to do is to reach out to someone you haven't spoken to in a long time. Whether they're in the business or not, I recommend this book. So much information on stage. It truly is a great read. Uh, you'll learn about the theater. You'll learn about process. Uh, I recommend this book. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, uh, go and read the book. Um, I have a dear friend, and he says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. But someone sent me a meme, and it said, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Some run canoes. Some are in rafts, some are in kayaks, some are in tugboats, 
some are in yachts. I don't care what size boat you're on. Just make sure that you don't get on a boat without a skipper by your side. And on that note, I'm going to leave the screen. And Ronald, it's all yours. Thank you all wow. for being here. And everyone stay in touch. <laughs> and thank you, Judy. And uh, thank you, Alan and Todd. It's such a pleasure to share the show with you. It's thank such you. a pleasure to meet you in person. I, I hope I'll get a chance to learn more about you over the years. And uh, that's the joy of life every single day. Uh, that's why, in a sense, these words came through me in this book, because it is about transformation. We're going through a transformation every single day of our lives from the moment we wake up uh, to when we go to sleep, and even when we're dreaming, of course, we're being transformed by our dreams. Um, I'm always reminded by this quote, and I was just going to share this because it's in my book, and uh, Louise Rayner, who was, of course, one of our most extraordinary actresses uh, on stage and on screen, and of course, she won back-to-back -back Oscars. But more than that, um, she became a very a dear friend that I corresponded with at the end of her life, and she lived a very, very long life. And um, she wrote um, uh, these words, which I share in my second book called Create, which has 130 interviews in it. But in this book, I added it. And she said, we all have to walk erect to see the sky, to know how little we are and how great. To look outside and not always within. That should be our goal and our health. Pain is a natural. It must be carried. Now, we are living every single day in happiness and joy, and also pain can come into our lives. So it's always this balance we're dealing with. And to me, being an artist and being someone who spends their day in creativity, I think it's always, and I have to say honestly, about transformation. Um, it's sharing joy and love in our heart and realizing if we can help others in this world transform themselves and see the sunlight and learn how to carry pain a little bit better. We're, of course, better human beings for it. So I just want to say thanks so much. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you for that. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Roland. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure being here. So thank you again. Great meeting all of you. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just, I mean, the thing that I come back to, to a lot when on the harder days is the idea of trust and just trusting in the idea that you're going to have bad days, trusting in the idea that this is a process that's um, working. And uh, and I come back around to it. Like when I panic attacks, whatever, it's just like just trust in it. And um, and I always try to come back to that. So it's... Um, well, I, it's, it's, it's a pleasure having been here and having shared my thoughts and feelings and, and hearing your own. And it's a real privilege to be part of this group today. Thank you, Alan. It's my pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure to have you. Thank you. And as Charlie Brown once said, in the book of life, the answers aren't in the back. Really, the answers do lie within each one of us. And it's up to us to imagine our lives as a screenplay. And you are both the lead actor and the writer. So make sure that you write the script that you want to live. Thanks for being with us.